has an inflated ego. He's bloated with pride. The Pharisees in Bible times were the elite of society. They reckoned that they were a peg above everyone else. And that's what we see oozing out of the Pharisee in the temple. He went there supposedly to pray, but there was no request. There was nothing that he sought from God. He reasoned that he was in need of nothing. The Bible doesn't flatter. It doesn't deceive. It deals truthfully with our hearts. And in this 59th chapter of Isaiah, we are brought face to face with our sin. The total depravity of the heart is made bare. Look at the third verse. Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Verse 7, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Do you see how one's hands, fingers, lips, tongue, thoughts, feet are mentioned? They are all affected by the fall. Oh, there is no soundness in you and I by natural generation. And that reality, we must face up to it. Otherwise, you will never be right with God. Those whom Isaiah was reasoning with refused to come to terms with their true condition. They wondered why they had not been delivered from their enemies. The prophet assured them in verse 1, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And then there is a most significant but in verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and their God. Here is the reality, men and women and young people. Our sin separates. It has driven a wedge between us and God. Not only would these people not face up to their sin, they deceived themselves, wrapped themselves up in their own delusion. They believed that before God all was well. The illustration of a spider's web is used. Do you know that there are 650 species of spider within the United Kingdom? The harvest season from September to November is the prime time to see spiders. We have the evidence of their presence in our doorways, on our fences and gates. 
among our shrubs, maybe in our whirly, whirly lines. And some of them even manage to sneak into our homes for heat. And maybe you find these little creatures to be terrifying. They are the last thing that you want to see in your home. Well, cheer up. While there are 650 species, only 12 species can be harmful to humans. In everyday conversation, the phrase is often coined, a web of lies, a web of deception. And instead of facing head-on the reality of their sinnership, these people were busily engaged in spinning a web of delusion. A waste of time. A fruitless exercise. And let me ask you tonight, is your hope for the great eternity? Is it described in our text? It's just like a spider's web. Are you deluding yourself into thinking that you have commended yourself to God when the opposite is the reality? Your failure to repent and receive Christ as your Savior leaves you condemned already. In this harvest season, it is imperative that we, continue, we consider the spider. It's web. It's one of the features of the season. And first of all, let us consider the weaving of the web. Have you ever thought of how the web is brought into being? Does the little creature gather together various bits and pieces from which it weaves the web? No, that's not how it's woven. It comes from within itself. We know that the bee gathers its wax from flowers, from external sources. The spider, by contrast, it weaves its web from within itself. And the weaving of the web of self-deception, spiritually speaking, it comes from within. It's the outworking of the sinful heart. The first time we read about the heart in the Word of God, the context is Noah's flood. What was in the heart had so manifested itself, the sin, the godlessness, it grieved the Lord. It provoked the outpouring of the wrath of God in that awful deluge that swept all outside the ark to destruction. And in Genesis 6 verse 5, we learn that God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You will see in the margin the heart every day, the thoughts of it 
were evil every day. In dealing with the self-righteousness of the Pharisee, the deceitful web of the religiosity, the Lord caused them to look at their hearts, what was within. There in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. They're all from within the heart. Psalm 14 and verse 1 makes it clear to us where the atheist's profession flows from. It's woven from within his heart. Here's his profession. He says there is no God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. He weaves this web of delusion. He tries to live in the world of make-believe, of wistful thinking. There is no God. In Luke chapter 12, we are brought to the parable of the rich farmer. He wasn't foolish in respect to the things of the here and now. He knew how to progress in his farming enterprise. He knew how to advance materially. He had big plans for the future. Where did they originate? From within. Luke chapter 12 and verse 17 explains, He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. His heart was void of any spiritual consideration. He never gave any thought to other riches, those of a permanent nature. He never thought about the key to treasures in the sky. He was not rich toward God. The natural heart leaves the Lord out. It's estranged from him. You're busily engaged in weaving a web that you think will somehow endear you to God, fit you for heaven, but it's all from within yourself. And it's a completely unproductive exercise. There is only one who can bring you and I as sinners to God. And it's spelt out in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. Why? 
For what purpose? That he might bring us to God. The Lord is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man or woman cometh to God but by him. Oh, that you would seek the Lord in this very meeting. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The weaving of the web, it's all from within. There's no salvation in any one of us. Salvation, Jonah learned, is of the Lord. But we think secondly of the wonder of the web. I'm sure that you have looked from time to time at a spider's web. You have gone into the garden in the morning time and there in the shrub is the web. And as the morning sun shines down on it, you say to yourself, how incredible that a spider could, could spin out of itself such a masterpiece. If it was capable of such a thing, the spider would be proud of its achievement. The spider could well think, think proudly of itself, give itself brownie points. The web that it weaves, what a wonder it is. And maybe you're pleased with yourself. Where you're at religiously, you do have a place of worship. Your seat's not often empty. You're faithful in saying your prayers, diligent in reading your Bible. In your way of thinking, you're far more religious than many of your peers. We're brought face to face with a religious person in Acts chapter 8. Simon Magus, he made a, a profession of religion. Acts chapter 8 and verse 13, we're told that Simon himself believed also. And it, it seems that there was a credibility about his profession for Philip baptized him. And he, say, he said much by way of appreciation of the miracles and the signs which were wrought. But Peter tore away the veneer of religiosity. And in verse 21 of Acts 8, Peter said to him plainly, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. 
Simon Magus, a religious person, but a Christless soul, no doubt well pleased with himself. But God was not pleased with his mere profession. You see, religion is no substitute for the new birth. And the creed is no substitute for Christ. Perhaps you're pleased with yourself morally. You're beyond reproach in this regard. No one can put their finger on a black spot morally in your life. You're faithful to your spouse. You do no one any harm. You're of the opinion that your upstanding moral character in the balances of the great judgment day, they will make amends for whatever it is you may lack. Oh, there's nothing that can can make up for your rejection of the only Redeemer, the blessed man of Calvary. You're pleased with yourself charitably. You give so many hours in raising funds for that worthy cause. When a need arises, you're to the fore in contributing. You're busily engaged in weaving a web, and in your eyes, it's wonderful. Here we read in verse 6 of Isaiah 59, their works are works of iniquity. Placing your works before Christ's cross work is only adding to your iniquity in the sight of the all-seeing eye. Do you know why the spider weaves its web? It's because of its poor sight. It cannot see other insects, so it traps them in its web. And it's aroused to their presence by the the vibration of the web. Your eyes, by nature... They are blind. They are blind to the wonderful plan of salvation, blind to the glory of Christ's work as the bearer away of sin. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4 tells us that the God of this world, that is the devil, he hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Oh, that the Holy Spirit, through the Word, would take away the blindfold and cause your eyes to be opened to see not only your sin, but the Savior of sinners. Behold, behold 
the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The weaving of the web, the wonder of the web. Then lastly, we think of the weakness of the web. Oh yes, it's wonderfully made. And much effort and pains is spent on it. But when all is said and done, it is a weak, flimsy thing. One swish of the duster, one swipe of the brush, one blast of the harvest wind, and it's gone forever. The spider cannot repair or restore its web. And how silly of that little creature to say, I'll shelter under this web. It will provide a covering for me from the birds of prey. Nonsense. And these people in Isaiah 59 were attempting to weave a covering. Do you see that in verse 6? There are webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. What you're trying to do is just like a web. It provides no proper covering. God sees through it. These people had to say in verse 12, For our transgressions are multiplied before thee. They realized that their sins were as an open book before God. And your transgressions of God's law are before him. They stand against your name in God's account. Away with your flimsy covering. The Lord has this message for you in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Oh, there's proper clothing for you. There is a true covering. The psalmist David gives his testimony in Psalm 32 and verse 1. And he says, Blessed, happy are the happinesses. Happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The ark in which Noah and his family were saved 
Genesis 6 and 14 tells us that it was pitched within and without with pitch. And the word for pitch in the original is the same as atonement, covering. We learn from Leviticus 17 and verse 11 that it is the blood that maketh atonement a covering for the soul. And the eye of God looking down on the ark, it saw the covering that spoke of the atoning work of Christ and was pleased with it. Noah and his family within the ark, they rested secure on the atonement. It covered them from the wrath of a sin-hating God. Isaiah can say here in chapter 61 and verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Oh, there is a perfect covering. It's the gospel covering. It's the garment of salvation. Job 8 speaks of one whose hope is as a spider's web. Job 8 and verse 14, whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. Is that the kind of hope that you have for the great eternity? Oh, do not seek to climb to heaven by a spider's web, the gospel gives us a hope, the living hope. And what is it like? It is as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Christ's gospel is the power unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It is just 53 years ago since I came as a sinner to Christ, the 6th of October, 1969. And that night, by God's grace, I was enabled to lay aside the filthy garments stained by sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The proper covering is Christ's gospel. May you tonight call upon the Lord's name and be saved.
be right with God and have this eternal, this living hope. May the Lord bless his word.